0: Chapter Twelve Part Two of the Life of Clara Barton, Volume Two by William Barton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve Part Two The Red Cross in Peace. The Yellow Fever Epidemic in Florida in eighteen eighty eight. During the month of August, eighteen eighty eight, yellow fever broke out in Jacksonville, and in September it was declared to be epidemic, the usual alarm and exodus of citizens taking place. On September eighth, heroic measures to depopulate the city were taken. Every person that was still well and could leave was requested to go. Very little urging was necessary camps were established outside of the city where those who had not the means to go farther and get better quarters were enabled to live under medical surveillance and away from the seat of infection the mayor of jacksonville had made an appeal for doctors and nurses which had been quickly responded to and they were doing everything possible to attend to the rapidly increasing number of patients on the formation of the red cross society of new orleans in eighteen ninety three it had been carefully and wisely arranged that in case of yellow fever becoming epidemic in any place no unacclimated persons or those not immune should be sent as assistance by the red cross New Orleans was the home of the famous Old Howard Association that had won its reputation and worn its grateful renown from the horrors of Memphis to the present time. This body freely united with the Red Cross of New Orleans, and it was arranged that the Southern States, through this society, should provide all Red Cross nurses for yellow fever, and that the northern portion of the country should raise the money to pay and provide them we felt this to be a security and an immediate provision which the country had never before known fearing that this might not at its first inception be fully understood i called at once on dr hamilton then in charge of the marine hospital explaining it to him and offering all the nurses that could be required even to hundreds all experienced and organized for immediate action perhaps it was not strange that a provision so new and so unknown in the sad history of plagues and epidemics should have seemed utopian and as such been brushed aside as not only useless but self-seeking and obtrusive like the entire organization of which it was a part it had to wait and win its way against custom or even prejudice by honest worth and stern necessity it was the old old story the world takes reform hard and slow as it was however we did what we could headquarters were established at the riggs house in washington the good-hearted people of the north who felt that they must go to florida had by some means gotten the idea that they must have a pass from the central committee of the red cross in order to go they came to us in hundreds and were mercifully held back from a scourge for which they would have been both food and fuel whilst the entire people of the country in pity and horror at the reports received were holding meetings raising money and pouring funds like water into the doomed city of jacksonville where the scourge had centered and to which every effort was made to confine it not realizing the opposition there might prove to be to our nurses we called upon their old-time leader colonel f r Southmade, the efficient secretary of the red cross society of new orleans instructing him to enlist a body of nurses and take them at once to the fever district he enlisted thirty both men and women white and colored took a part with him the remainder following next day refugees who had fled from jacksonville carried the plague to several smaller places in the surrounding country where in some instances it acquired quite a foothold but owing to their obscurity and the lack of communication with the outside world they were left alone to fight the disease as best they could among these places was the little town of McClenny where as soon as it became known that there was a case of fever within its limits all trains were ordered to rush through without stopping and an armed quarantine was placed around it with orders to shoot anyone attempting to leave the town thus left to their fate without doctors nurses or food in any quantity their situation was pitiable there were a number of volunteers who had made attempts to get into McClenney, but owing to the unreasoning panic existing they were not permitted to enter the place colonel southmade had heard of these neglected people and he succeeded while en route to jacksonville in dropping off ten nurses so much needed at McClenny how he did this i have told in a little brochure entitled the McClenny nurses that was issued at the close of the year eighteen eighty eight the fever spread during the fall to several points in georgia alabama and mississippi and resulted in the usual panic and flight from many places But happily the disease got no great headway before the frost put an end to its career. It was late in November when we closed this work. Worn and disheartened as we were by both the needful and the needless hardships of the campaign, we were glad of the two or three months in which no call for action was made upon us. The Johnstown Flood of 1889 on the thirtieth of may eighteen eighty nine occurred the calamity of johnstown pennsylvania with all its horrors so frightful and improbable were the reports that it required twenty-four hours to satisfy ourselves that it was not a canard in order to get an intelligent idea of this disaster and the terrible damage wrought by the irresistible waters it may be well to give a short sketch of the city of johnstown and its adjacent surroundings before the flood there were thirty thousand people in this busy community which embraced the city of johnstown proper and numerous suburbs the city is situated at the junction of stony creek and the little connemaw forming the connemaw river these streams are liable to sudden overflows and owing to the contraction of the waterway in the lower part of the city by the dumping of cinders and slag from the large ironworks on the banks of the stream and also encroachments by riparian owners the upper portion of the city is liable to inundations About nine miles above the city, a dam had been thrown across the Little Connemaw River many years ago for commercial purposes, but had been abandoned, and the site with much surrounding property had been subsequently purchased by a sporting club, whose membership embraced some of the wealthiest citizens of Pennsylvania. These gentlemen were attracted by the picturesque scenery and the hunting and fishing of the vicinity, and they spent thousands of dollars in improving and beautifying their holdings. The dam was raised to a height of over seventy feet, and held an immense body of water covering many acres. This large mass of water was a constant source of fear to the inhabitants of the lower valleys, who were aware of the danger that threatened them, and many protests were made against the continuance of the danger but owing to the prominence of the owners of the dam and the strong social and political influence they exerted they remained unmolested in the possession of the monster that was to break its bounds and carry death and destruction in its pitiless pathway a steady rainfall for several days in the latter part of may Caused overflows in all the streams in western Pennsylvania, and much of the city of Johnstown was already under water to a depth of from two to ten feet, when suddenly the dam over the Little Connemaw gave way, and its flood, resembling a moving mountain of water thirty feet high, was precipitated upon the doomed city. Numbers of the inhabitants, who had carried the fear of this disaster in their minds for years, had become so alarmed by the long continued rains and the floods that were already upon them, took their families and fled to the high grounds on the hillsides. But the great majority of the people, who, though fully aware of the danger, had lived with it so long that they had become careless and indifferent, took no precautions whatever these were overwhelmed by the tide almost without warning and before they could seek safety were swept away the number of lives lost will never be accurately known but in all probability it reached in the entire valley nearly five thousand it is said that property to the amount of twelve millions of dollars was absolutely lost it was at the moment of supreme affliction when we arrived at johnstown The waters had subsided, and those of the inhabitants who had escaped the fate of their fellows were gazing over the scene of destruction and trying to arouse themselves from the lethargy that had taken hold of them when they were stunned by the realization of all the woe that had been visited upon them. How nobly they responded to the call of duty! How much of the heroic there is in our people when it is needed. No idle murmurings of fate, but true to the godlike instincts of manhood and fraternal love, they quickly banded together to do the best that the wisest among them could suggest. For five weary months it was our portion to live amid these scenes of destruction, desolation, poverty, want and woe, sometimes in tents, sometimes without, in rain and mud and a lack of the commonest comforts until we could build houses to shelter ourselves and those around us. Without a safe and with a dry goods box for a desk, we conducted financial affairs in money and material to the extent of nearly half a million dollars when our five months work was completed we had only to turn over to the hands of the leaders of the town our warehouse with its entire remaining stock amounting to some thousands of dollars the care of the infirmary one of our trained clerks with all papers and accounts of our relief work from the day of its inception one of our experienced workingmen to handle transportation to fit up for them large warm rooms for winter use give them our blessing accept theirs in fullest measure say good-bye to them and to our faithful helpers with heavy hearts and choking voices and return to our home bearing the record of a few months of faithful endeavour among a people as patient and brave as people are made as noble and grateful as falls to the lot of human nature to be. Enterprising, industrious, and hopeful, the new Johnstown, phoenix-like, rose from its ruins more beautiful than the old, with a ceaseless throb of grateful memory for every kind act rendered, and every thought of sympathy given her in her great hour of desolation and woe. God bless her and god bless all who helped save her we had employed during our sojourn in johnstown a working force of fifty men and women whom we had housed fed and paid with the exception of the volunteers who worked for the good they could do and would accept nothing the means which we so largely handled came from everywhere Accounts were rendered for everything and no word of business complication ever came to us. There never has in all our work. There was much to do in Johnstown after we left. Buildings to remove and property to care for when it had served its purpose and the ground became needed. But there is always a right time for any benevolent work to cease a time when the community is ready to resume its own burdens and when an offered charity is an insult to the honest and independent and a degradation to the careless and improvident tending to pauperize and make them an added burden on their better-minded fellow-citizens and then the moment the tradesman is able to re-establish himself he looks with jealous eyes on any agency that diverts possible business from his channels thus it is not only wise but just to all concerned to withdraw all gratuities from a people the instant they are able to gain even a meager self-support a rather curious circumstance somewhat on the line of this reflection Fell to our lot after leaving johnstown the houses that we had built and furnished were indispensable to the tenants during the winter when there were no other houses to be had but in the spring the city rejuvenated began to build up again and we were notified that the land on which our large houses were standing was needed by the owners who wished to use it for their own purposes, and they requested the Red Cross to remove its buildings. We promptly sent an agent to attend to the matter, and he began the work of vacating the premises. There was no hardship involved in this, as all the tenants were by this time in condition to pay rent, the relief fund of $1,600,000 having been distributed among them in proportion to their losses, and there were houses that they could get. In a few days our houses were empty. Then a new factor entered into the situation. When it became generally known that the Red Cross must remove these immense houses— and that a large quantity of lumber and house furnishings were to be disposed of the self-interests of the dealers in those commodities were at once aroused and they strongly protested against the gratuitous distribution of those articles among the people of johnstown asserting that the inhabitants were now prospering and had the means to buy everything they needed and that a gift from us of any of these things would be an injustice to the honest traders who were trying to re-establish themselves we saw the justice of their objection and gave assurances that no injury should be done them still to have fully conformed to their idea and transported the entire material to some other point would have put the red cross to an amount of trouble and cost unjust to itself i am not prepared to say that our quiet field agent in charge of the work did not find resting places for very much of this material in still needy homes where it did no harm to any one and for which no one but the pitiful recipients were the wiser notwithstanding the fact that we took away from johnstown as little material and furniture as was possible after quietly disposing of the greater part of it and this at an expense and inconvenience to ourselves which we could ill afford there were those who could not understand why we should take anything away and their unkind misconstruction and criticisms have scarcely ceased echoing even to this late day. The paths of charity are over roadways of ashes, and he who would have tread them must be prepared to meet opposition, misconstruction, jealousy, and calumny. Let his work be that of angels, still it will not satisfy all there is always an aftermath of attempted relief where none is needed and more or less criticism of any work for it is always so much easier to say how a thing ought to be done than it is to do it these little unpleasantnesses however cannot deprive us of the thousand memories of gratitude appreciation and kindnesses exchanged which were mutually helpful nor of the many lifelong friendships formed which will bless us all our day. As Miss Barton was leaving Johnstown, the Daily Tribune of that city published the following editorial. How shall we thank Miss Clara Barton and the Red Cross for the help they have given us? It cannot be done, and if it could, Miss Barton does not want our thanks." She has simply done her duty as she sought, and received her pay, the consciousness of a duty performed to the best of her ability. To see us upon our feet, struggling forward, helping ourselves, caring for the sick and infirm and impoverished, that is enough for Miss Barton. Her idea has been fully worked out, all her plans accomplished what more could such a woman wish we cannot thank miss barton in words hunt the dictionaries of all languages through and you will not find the signs to express our appreciation of her and her work try to describe the sunshine try to describe the starlight words fail and in dumbness and silence we bow to the idea which brought her here god and humanity never were they more closely linked than in stricken johnstown governor beaver of pennsylvania expressed the appreciation of the people of the state in the following letter in this matter of sheltering the people as in others of like importance, Miss Clara Barton, president of the Red Cross Association, was most helpful. At a time when there was a doubt if the Flood Commission could furnish houses of suitable character and with the requisite promptness, she offered to assume charge and she erected with the funds of the association three large apartment houses which afforded comfortable lodgings for many houseless people she was among the first to arrive on the scene of calamity bringing with her dr hubble the field officer of the red cross association and a staff of skilled assistants she made her own organization for relief work in every form disposing of the large resources under her control with such wisdom and tenderness that the charity of the red cross had no sting and its recipients are not miss barton's dependents but her friends she was also the last of the ministering spirits to leave the scene of her labors and she left her apartment houses for use during the winter and turned over her warehouse with its store of furniture bedding and clothing and a well-equipped infirmary to the union benevolent association of the Conemaugh valley the organization of which she advised and helped to form and its lady visitors have so well performed their work that the dreaded winter has no terrors mendicency has been repressed and not a single case of unrelieved suffering is known to have occurred in all the flooded district. THE RUSSIAN FAMINE OF 1891-92 to To understand properly the Russian famine of 1891-92 and the relief work of the Red Cross connected therewith, one needs to keep in mind the ordinary moral and economic condition of the russian peasantry they were many of them not long ago serfs attached to the land in a condition but little better than american slaves though the liberation of the serfs made their legal condition better it left them in condition scarcely less discouraging than before they were subject to all the disabilities of hard bargains on every side from the exactions of taxes levied in one way or another and payable in services or goods all of which called for an ever-increasing sacrifice they were subject to onerous military service and penal exactions for violations of the law these conditions surrounded them with an atmosphere of depressing poverty fear and hopeless endurance if not of despair they have not felt the stimulating habitual influence of hope of courage of enterprise they are not educated to surmount discouragements by overcoming them difficulties do not down easily before them They go down before difficulties and disasters in something like apathetic despondency, or live in an amazing, light-hearted, careless recklessness that easily turns to drink, to idleness, weakness, disease, and early death. Fear is with them always, as if fate was over and against them. The climate of Russia is cold in winter, and the means of cooking and artificial warmth are scanty and not easily procured at any time thus when the famine really came upon them observers were divided in opinion whether the famine or fear of famine or of something worse destroyed or paralyzed these people the more the harvest yields of eighteen eighty nine in eighteen ninety had been much less than an average and at the beginning of eighteen ninety one but little of the old supplies of grain was left over the harvest of eighteen ninety one was nearly a total failure throughout a vast region in central russia extending from moscow roughly speaking say three hundred miles in a northeasterly direction over a plain eight hundred to a thousand miles in width beyond the ural mountains and some distance into siberia in asiatic russia a district of nearly a million square miles ordinarily this is the most productive part of the empire Upon which the remainder of the country had been accustomed to draw for food supplies in the frequent cases of deficiency elsewhere. The appearance of the country is similar to our prairie states in the early days before the growth of the planted trees, and the soil is a rich black loam that usually produces good harvests. It was estimated by those best qualified to judge that from 30 to 35 millions of people were sufferers by the famine of 1891. Count Tolstoy gave up his whole time to mitigating the suffering caused by this great disaster and to understand the situation broadly. He went into the homes of the people and studied their needs sympathetically. He placed himself by their side, and with his dramatic instinct understood them, ascertained where the hurt was felt, and how it could be cured, if it could be cured at all. At that time the Count wrote of these poor unfortunates. I asked them what sort of a harvest they had had, and how they were getting along, and they replied in a blithe offhand manner, "'Oh!' right enough god be praised and yet these people who reside in the most distressed districts of the government of tula cannot possibly live through the winter unless they bestir themselves in time they are bound to die of hunger or some disease engendered by hunger as surely as a hive of bees left to face the rigors of a northern winter WITHOUT HONEY OR SWEETS, MUST PERISH MISERABLY BEFORE THE ADVENT OF SPRING. THE ALL-IMPORTANT QUESTION, THEREFORE, IS THIS. WILL THEY EXERT THEMSELVES, WHILE YET THEY POSSESS THE STRENGTH, IF, INDEED, IT BE NOT ALREADY WHOLLY EXHAUSTED? EVERYTHING THAT I SAW OR HEARD POINTED WITH TERRIBLE DISTINCTNESS TO A NEGATIVE REPLY one of these farmers had sold out the meager possessions which he could call his own and had left for moscow to work or beg the others stayed on and waited with naive curiosity watching for what would happen next like children who having fallen into a hole in the ice or lost their way in a dense forest and not realizing at first the terrible danger of their situation, heartily laugh at its unwantedness. Unless they bestir themselves in time. What a text this is. They are all the time overborne by the apathy of fear, of unused powers, of suppression and depression. Courage, hope, enterprise to bestir themselves, where will they come from? Not surely from fear and more discouragement. The work of the American National Red Cross in the Russian famine of 1891-92 to 92 was comparatively less than in some others of the conspicuous fields in which it had done its work the impulse to help in the work of that relief sprang up simultaneously in many american hearts and homes in new york in philadelphia in minnesota and iowa in iowa it took the form of a veritable crusade for a most holy cause beginning in the fervid and indomitable spirit of miss alice french the octave Thanet of literature it quickly enlisted mr b f tillingast editor of the davenport democrat who became its director-in-chief and organizing force everywhere organizing it and promoting it in every direction and in every form the movement was taken up by the women of iowa and governor boys became a prime mover till the whole state at last joined in a triumphal march bearing corn, God's best gift to man, to the Atlantic coast in a procession of 225 carloads, exceeding 500 bushels in each car. The corn was consigned to Clara Barton in New York and reached her agents there without accident or delay the american national red cross had authentic intelligence of the famine in russia before it had attracted general attention it had placed itself in communication with the secretary of state the hon james g blaine and the russian charge d'affaires at washington mr alexander gregor and had ascertained that russia would gladly receive any donations of relief that the people of america might send to her famine-stricken people not only would they receive supplies but would send their ships for them and provide inland transportation from russian ports to the destitute people for whom these benefactions were intended America declined to allow her suffering sister nation to cross the seas to get this food, and quickly arranged to carry it to her. All the American agencies concerned in this movement met it in the noblest spirit. Railroad companies gave free transportation. Telegraph companies the free use of wires brokers and steamship agents declined their usual commissions and some insurance companies even gave premiums for the safe delivery of the precious cargo into the hands of the starving people funds to charter a steamship to carry the cargo to russia were soon raised and placed in the hands of the red cross dr hubble representative of the red cross to the international conference of the red cross to be held at rome and authorized to proceed to riga and receive and distribute with the russian red cross this gift of iowa was already on his ocean voyage and ready to do his part in this beautiful blending of international courtesies and services that is the mission of the red cross to devise and to carry out wherever it can make or find the fitting opportunity. Dr. Hubble arrived on time at Riga and superintended the distribution of the cargo. The Sea Islands, Hurricane of 1893-94 to 94. It is probable that there are few instances on record where a movement toward relief of such magnitude commenced under circumstances so new so unexpected so unprepared and so adverse was ever carried on for such a length of time and closed with results so entirely satisfactory to both those served and those serving as this disaster which if remembered at all at the present day is designated as the hurricane and tidal wave of the sea islands off the coast of south carolina the descriptions of this fearful catastrophe i shall leave to the reports of those who saw shared its dangers and lived within its tide of death they will tell how from three thousand to five thousand human beings for no one knew the number went down in a night. How in the blackness of despair they clung to the swaying tree tops till the roots gave way, and together they were covered in the sands or washed out to the reckless billows of the great mad ocean that had sent for them, of the want, woe, and nothingness that the ensuing days revealed when the winds were hushed, the waters stilled, and the frightful survivors began to look for the lost home and the loved ones. And hunger presaged the gaunt figure of famine that silently drew near and stared them in the face. How, with all vegetable growth destroyed, all animals, even to fowls, swept away, all fresh water turned to salt, not even a sweet well remaining, not one little house in five hundred left upright if left at all the victims with the clothing torn and washed off them till they were more nearly naked than clothed how these thirty thousand people patiently stood and faced this silent second messenger of death threatening them hour by hour largely ignorant knowing nothing of the world with no real dependencies upon any section of its people. They could only wait its charity, its pity, its rescue, and its care. Wait and pray. Does anyone who knows the Negro characteristics and attributes doubt this latter? Surely, if angels do listen... They heard pleading enough in those hours of agony to save even the last man and woman and the helpless babe. Something saved them, for there is no record of one who died of starvation or perished through lack of care. About the 28th or 29th of August, 1893, the press commenced to give notice such as it could get over wrecked roads and broken wires, of a fearful storm coming up from the West Indies that had struck our coast in the region of South Carolina, sweeping entirely over its adjacent range of islands known as the Old Port Royal Group, covering them from the sea to a depth of sixteen feet with the wind at a rate of one hundred and twenty miles an hour, that its destructive power was so great that it had not only swept the islands, but had extended several miles onto the mainland of the state. I chanced to be familiar with the geography and topography of that group of islands, having lived on them in the capacity of war relief many months during the siege of charleston in eighteen sixty three to sixty four knowing that they scarcely averaged four feet rise above the sea level with no mountains not even hills that could be called such that the soft sandy soil could not be trusted to hold its tree roots firm that the habitations were only huts to be washed away like little piles of boards i thought i saw no escape for the inhabitants and that all must have perished and so replied to all inquiries at first made as to whether this were not a disaster for the red cross to relieve no there was nothing left to relieve later and more reliable news brought the astonishing fact that it was estimated that from 30 to 40,000 had survived and were in the direst need. Was not this a call for the Red Cross? Still, more emphatically, no. If that is the case, it is beyond the Red Cross. Only the state of South Carolina or the general government can cope with that and again we closed our ears and proceeded with our work but the first week of september brought pitiful paragraphs from various southern sources one i recall from the governor of the state in which he proclaimed his perplexity and great distress at the condition of these poor people needing everything and who at that season of the year with crops all destroyed, would continue to need, and closed by wondering if the Red Cross could perhaps do anything for them. It would not do to close our ears or eyes against this suggestion, and I at once sought our congressional neighbor, General M. C. Butler of South Carolina, then in the Senate, asking his views. The response was such as would not have been looked for in that busy, hard-worked senator, surrounded by a network of political wires, some of them only too likely to be live. He dropped all business, telegraphed at once to Governor Tillman at Columbia to learn the conditions, and urgently requested us to go. And he would even leave his seat and go with us as soon as we could be ready. Time is never a question with the Red Cross, and the next night, in a dark, cheerless September mist, with only two assistants, I closed a door behind me for ten months, went to the station to meet General Butler, prompt and kind, and proceeded on our way. At Columbia, we were joyfully surprised at meeting Governor Tillman, prepared to accompany us with a member of his staff, and thus powerfully reinforced we made our entrance into beaufort the work of relief had been wisely placed at first in the hands of committees from both beaufort and charleston comprising the best business men of each city its lawyers merchants bankers all men of prominence and known practical ability They had done and were doing all possible for them to do, with hearts full of pity, hands full of work, themselves large losers by the storm, business nearly wrecked, and needing every remaining energy for the repairing of their own damages and those of the citizens about them. The governor, at whose request they had formed, Realizing the necessities of the case sought to release them, calling them together in each city and successively relieving them, placing the Red Cross in full charge of the relief. With the little knowledge we had of the conditions and surroundings, it would have been madness to accept, at least until both more knowledge and more numerical force were gained, and the refusal was as prompt as the proffer had been we however promised to remain in beaufort meeting with the committee each day advise with them study the situation and report our conclusions when we could safely arrive at them thus we remained until the first day of october realizing that the relief coming in from outside would soon diminish as the excitement should wear away that the sum in hand was painfully small, that the number of destitute was steadily increasing, that the winter was approaching, and that they must be carried through in some manner till the next year's crops could grow, and that, in order to do this, a fixed system of relief must be adopted, a rigid economy enforced, and every person who could do so must be made to work for his food and receive food and raiment only in return for labor that this could come only from persons who had no interests but these to subserve and with the light of all experience that could be called to the task even then a successful result was questionable but there was no question of the fatal result of any other course, and after a thoughtful counsel of our official board, which had meanwhile become nearly filled, on the night of September 30th it was decided that the Red Cross would accept the appointment of the governor and enter upon its duties the following day. Accordingly, at the meeting of the next day, October 1st, 4 p m the beaufort relief commission as appointed by the governor was formally released as a committee and immediately re-elected by the red cross as its advisory board to meet and advise with us as we had done with them through all these years the tenderness springs to my heart and gathers in my eyes as I recall the kindly and affectionate intercourse of months without one break that grew up between us. And although some have been called to higher service and greener fields, I am confident that none of us will ever seek on this side a better, more trusted, kindlier association than were found in these if it be desirable to understand when to commence a work of relief to know if the objects presented are actually such as to be benefited by the assistance which would be rendered it is no less desirable and indispensable that one knows when to end such relief in order to avoid first the weakening of effort and powers for self-sustenance second the encouragement of a tendency to beggary and pauperism by dependence upon others which should be assumed by the persons themselves it has always been the practice of the red cross to watch this matter closely and leave a field at the suitable moment when it could do so without injury or unnecessary suffering thus leaving a wholesome stimulus on the part of the beneficiaries to help not only themselves individually but each other seldom a field or any considerable work of relief which may have attracted public notice comes to a close that there does not some person or body of persons arise and propose to continue the work under some new form but using the former, well-established sources of supplies, to put out new appeals to old patrons, detailing great need, newly discovered, and thus keep the sympathetic public forever on the anxious seats of never-ending pity and help. We have been compelled to guard against this at the close of every long-continued field, notably Johnstown, where it became necessary for the citizens to organize a home relief to keep sensational strangers off the ground and their well-arranged benevolent union of today is the result the sea islands were no exception and at the last moment of our stay a well-drawn petition was discovered for it was to be kept concealed until we were gone and was checked only by the vigorous aid of the charleston news and courier of june twenty fifth eighteen ninety four always our stay and friend in time of trouble End of chapter twelve part two